You are now listening to the Socks and Sandals podcast. Every time an independent, a truly independent source goes into the Portland Place Bureau, we find chaos. Just one of the people like just told to my managers who like had fired me, they were like, yeah, did you see Tevin's video was on Complex? And he was like, man, dog, they sick, man. Yada, yada. And I was just like, I was laughing because it was just like, you know, bro, like, you know, God, God always got a plan. That moment, I thought, you know what? I don't care. I'm gonna sit here in the middle of this aisle in Target and talk to her and break down what is going on and why she believes that these white Barbie dolls are more valuable or should come home with us over these brown and black Barbie dolls. The Egyptian creation story is a very sexual one, mm-hmm. and it talks of the god creating himself through a sexual act with himself. So it's a masturbatory big bang. Like, I never even hire coaches when I establish a program. I always hire mentors first. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because a mentor gets the big picture. Coach might just get basketball. I want somebody that under X's and I want somebody that's about whole life. I'm not the only podcaster out there. You're not the only marketer out there. Like, there's a lot of people doing the same things. But the things that's going to separate you and I from the rest of the people is that we become our best selves and we just don't quit. So what is the gospel? What is the pure, unadulterated yes, gospel? Yes, yes, and that is what I live by, because the moment this changes is the moment I'm leaving Christianity. Okay. The pure, unadulterated gospel, and I can say it in one sentence, but I'll elaborate. For sure. Is love God and do whatever the fuck you want. Back to the Socks and Sandals podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy Emmanuel. I'm back in the studio here at K Booth, and I got the homie with me. He came through, man, sight unseen. This is our first time meeting in person, but we've been corresponding a lot on IG and whatnot and Twitter. But I have the hip hop social worker, Mr. Christopher Scott. Say what's up to the people, bro. What's good, man? Man, thank you for coming through, my brother. Oh, no problem. It's always good to connect with other fellow black entrepreneurs, especially fellow podcasters. That's even more rare. So yeah. to have <laughs> us link, man, this is like, it was a matter of time. For real. Yeah, man. Yeah, for real. For sure, man. So I appreciate that, bro. Especially coming through. You, know, you came through with your blazer gear. It's man, the, you know what I'm saying? Open at night. Open at night. You got to represent. You got to let them know. You know what I'm saying? I want to rep Portland. Already. The blazers, wherever, wherever I'm at, you know? So. For sure. Well, I'm in Portland, so it's easy to do it. Yeah. Already. <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, actually, I got Sling on my phone. I might be able to pull up the game from time to time so we can okay. get, get a few live updates. <laughs> but uh, but really quickly, man, before we go too far, tell the folks a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what's the typical day in the life of Mr. Christopher Scott. Yes, sir. Uh, so I'm from Portland, Oregon. Uh, I'm from an area that's kind of weird. It's like north, but it's like around the corner from northeast Portland. So like I, uh, I say, I'm from northeast Portland. Born and raised, um, yeah, so, uh, social worker by profession. 
Um, I do therapy with uh, individual contractors or independent contractors, rather. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do some hospital work. Uh, I just got hired at a juvenile facility to be a therapist there. Congrats. Uh, Thank you. Um, I did some school social work. Um, What else? I worked in residential. I worked with mental health. I worked with the homeless population. I've done a lot of stuff regarding social work. And um, a typical day, really, uh, if I'm not seeing clients, uh, I'm trying to get some shifts to the hospital, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying, uh, or whatever, doing research to kind of build my brand, a uh, hip-hop social worker, uh, you know, to kind of, to make it, you know, uh, just, to, just to make it, to be, you know, to make it more, you know, than every, each day to try to add something, to, you know what I'm saying, to, to diversify it, um, yeah. you know, just trying to, just trying to grow that, sure. uh, trying to grow my platform, trying to help others grow their platform, and yeah, that's about it. That's dope, man. So tell me about, you know, going into social work. You know, you have your master's, right? Yes. Okay, so that's the MS Dub. Yep, yep, Okay. Yep. And then you going for another level or, you know? Uh, you know, people have asked me, um, especially, especially since I've been, like, you know, with this persona, a hip-hop social worker, mm-hmm. uh, people have asked me, like, you know, have I thought about getting my PhD? Um, I just, I'm not really into it. Yeah, you know? school ain't the funnest thing to do. Really ain't, you know what I'm saying? And, like, you know, and just to, like, you know, take out more loans to get a PhD. And a yeah. PhD really ain't, I mean, I guess you can, I mean, you could be a professor, and, and depending on where you're at, they do all right. But but I feel like I could do the same thing with, with LCSW. So, yeah. So that's what I'm trying to get right now. And a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because that's the, that's the logical conclusion of a podcast. You build up your brand and then. You monetize it however you want to do it. Yeah, so I'm so definitely filling the gaps. Yeah, so but um, so let's see, got into social work. Um, it's kind of like a kind of like a loosey goosey story. Um, you know, I worked for SEI when I was in SEI. And, so, well, know. shout out to SEI. Yes, Salute. <laughs> I'm working with SEI right now. Yeah, man. Everybody in the hood then went through SEI for That's some real. basketball camps or after school programs. I'm doing the after school program, so. Big shout out, big salute yeah. to SEI. Man, so yeah, so um uh, when when you in SEI, when you get into high school, they give you a job. And they give you a job all throughout high school, sometimes even college, you know, kinda of being like a they call it a summer coach. Mm-hmm. Right. So I did that and I, I like doing that, but I really didn't think it was gonna be like my career. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Uh so fast forward after high school, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um I knew I didn't want to go to university so so quick, so I went to barber school, got my barber license. Um, oh, I, you got you multi talented, ain't you? Man, I, you know I, I've I've done a lot of school already. <laughs> but uh, educated brother. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I was a barber for a little bit, and my and the idea was that I, I would go to a college and get a, a business degree and open up barber shops. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. Got into college. Um, business wasn't really happening. Uh, those classes was hard. I was like struggling to get C's, and I was thinking like, man, it shouldn't be like this. It's gonna be my career. So I was talking to my mom, who's a social worker. Um, she's a drug and alcohol counselor. Um, she, and she was like, well, have you thought of doing anything else? And I was like, well, I kind of like working, you know, at SEI, um, you know, with the kids. She's like, well, why don't you do that? So so that's kind of started my, my path into social work. I didn't really know what social work was until until that. And the only thing I knew about social work was CPS. Mm. So my whole goal was to get a degree and get a job at DHS. Um, that didn't work out. Um, uh, so, um, so after grad school, 
or not after grad school. After undergrad, I worked at Morrison. I worked for um, TPI, just kind of like on call jobs. Mm-hmm. And I got ended up getting a job in the Dallas, um, working at Norcor. This place, uh, you know, th- there was a, a new program for kids that were in state custody, but mm-hmm. they were trying to get um, uh, re resubmitted back in their um, hometown or whatever, you mm-hmm. know. So they would be on parole or probation, but they'd be failing out their program that they at, mm-hmm. you know. So they had to come there, kind of like a. You know, like, like a, a boot camp or something. No, nah, not not so hard, but you but you, you know it. it um, I forgot what we used to call it. I think we used to call it spin dry. You know, you come there for thirty days. You know, you mm. get clean. Mm. You do some mental health classes. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, what I'm saying you you understand that it's your last chance before you go back to Hillcrest or McLaren or Rogue Valley or whatever. Right, right. So, um, I worked there, and there was this dude who came in, and he, the thing like I noticed about him, he didn't he 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 really didn't work a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, like, I mean, like, as far as like what I'm doing, I'm, I'm like washing clothes, I'm giving dinners out, I'm, you know, making sure kids ain't fighting. I'm doing a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying? The guy comes in, he checks in with kids, you know, says all this stuff, and then um, I asked him one day, I said, man, like, you know, what do you do? You know, I never heard of therapy until like that job, which okay. was 2011. Yeah, you know, so he's like, I'm a therapist, and I was like, well, what the fuck is that? You know, and he was. <laughs> He was like, "Oh man, you know it's um, you know, um, you know, I come in, I, I do assessments, I do counseling, I do groups if I have to." And I was like, "Well, well how do you get to that level?" He said, well, "You, you got to have a master's degree." And he had an LPC, um, and he told me about um, you know, like like um, MSW. Well, I kind of researched, um, you know, like um, school of social work, you know, like um, earlier that year because I just kind of was seeing what was up, but I didn't know I could be a therapist with MSW. So I was like, all right. So, you know, um, so I did some research, looked into it, but I was I, but I was kind of scared. I was like, I don't know if a man, I, I really don't want to, like, apply for this school and get rejected. Mm. So, so, but he was like, you know, he was like, it's something to think about. You know, you being a black male in this field, you might be, you might be all right, you know, because mm. there's not a lot of y'all. Mm. So, long story short, um, I, I, um, I had... Made a New Year's resolution in 2014 to apply to grad school. Applied to Portland State that they had an online program. Uh, got waitlisted. Ended up getting in. And in grad school, I just was you know just doing grad school stuff. Hella reading, hella uh, papers. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, but so this is recent. Grad school was like 2014. Okay. 2014, 2017. So I, I graduated two years ago. Okay. So um, so but um, that's dope, man. So you you really hit the ground running. You you graduated and then you started a podcast like bang. Y- yeah. So yeah. yeah. So um. So but while I was in grad school, I came up with the concept of, of hip hop social worker. Okay. Because I knew like I wanted to do something different, and yeah. I wanted to do social work the way I wanted to do it. Right. I just didn't know what the hell I was doing. Right. So right. so I started a web. So I had a website back then. Hip hop social worker, and I didn't, I didn't uh, have it for too long because I was paying like thirty bucks a month, but I didn't know how to, right. I didn't know what to do, so I just. That's the reason it. why I don't even have what. So I was like, man, I feel like I'll get it, I'll pay for it, but I just won't maintain it, and yeah. so I just that's, haven't that's, done it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I, I was, I, I was pretty good at first, but now I got like, I got some ideas that I want to do, but yeah. I just ain't really did them. So, sure. but uh, so yeah, I, I did that, and when I got out of grad school, um, um. Yeah, I was just looking around for for different jobs, kind of bounced around, worked for different schools, and uh, you know, I'm still trying to find my footing. But hip hop social work has been good because it's kind of let me create my own voice, you know. Like, um, so yeah, it's been good. So tell me about like you were telling me a little bit off air, but so you be you finished school in 2017, Mm -hmm. and then how much longer after school did you start your podcast? 
Um, about nine months. So, so I started a podcast with my with my childhood friend. Um, we had a podcast called Cast Kings. You know, okay. It was just kind of us getting together, talking talking shit about you know, like right. you know, just pop culture shit for sure. And we was doing it, and he was kind of like, man, you know, saying so like you, you kind of right at this, you know. I was mm. like, all right. And he was like, well, why don't we do more shows? So yeah. So um. So I was like, cool. You know, I agreed to do uh, you know some more shows and and, and and like me thinking about shows. I was thinking about like a show to kind of create, so I can like kind of have my own professional spin on it. Yeah. And then I and then I forgot that I had hip hop social work. I was like, oh shit, I forgot I I made this whole thing. I had a Twitter account that I haven't used and all that. Uh-huh. Like, man, I can just start really just start back up and the infrastructure was there. You know what I'm saying? So in January we did we we started Cast Kings. And then May, I started a hip hop social worker, mm. and it kind of just like created like this became like its own thing, yeah. you know, like quick, like well not quick, but, but you know like so, so the the Instagram page really just like started just 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 booming, like yeah. people just started kind of following me because uh, I was posting every day, you know. Mm. I watched uh, what's the dude named Gary V. Gary V. Gary V. I That's remember, my guy. <laughs> and I remember he was talking to this kid, and he was like, "You got to post every day." Yeah, you know, three times a day, whatever. So, so I took that motto and I and I and I did it. Yeah, and I was following. I followed hella people. I was following hella social workers, hella hashtags, hella whatever. Yeah, and people was following me back, and they would say, "Man, you know, like you got something right here." You know, yeah. what I'm saying like I appreciate your message. You're so positive or whatever. And then the podcast, um, I just did a couple episodes myself. Um, I listened to a podcast called the Now What Podcast with Aaron Foster. And he interviewed his mm-hmm. mom. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's, that's tight. I'm interviewing my dad. So I interviewed my dad yeah. uh, for, for I think, the first episode or the second episode, whatever. And, you know, and people was giving me a lot of feedback. People just really liked the fact that I was kind of being just being myself. Yeah. You know, so so I did that in May of 2018. And ever since then, uh, yeah, it's been, you know, it's, it's just turned, it's turned into a little platform that people reach out to and try to get, you know, I try to help people. I tell people whatever, just email me, DM me if you got questions about anything, about grad school, about professional stuff, about therapy, about whatever. Yeah. So it's you know, been popping ever since, bro. It's been doing all right. Yeah. You know, it's been doing all right. Nah, it's, it's been doing good. I've been I've been checking it. I've been peeping it. And it's like, and especially your, your growth on IG. Yeah. So you just hit that 10k. Yeah. You know, so congrats on that, oh, thank bro. You. Appreciate and that's it. and that's the thing that I that's I've just I want to say, yeah, I'll say I've given up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I just don't I really don't like putting in all that much work. Yeah. You know, it's like I lot. like to just put something out on a story and leave it. Mm-hmm. But like I hate posting. Like I even hate yeah. posting for the show and having to write yeah. the thing. Yeah, I feel all that. the hashtags. Yeah. It's like, "Oh, but like it's it's so necessary. So yeah. it's one of those things where I just have to develop that muscle. Yeah. You know? So, but the thing, like, I don't know, like, if it was the name or whatever, but I knew like hip hop social work was corny enough for people to like check it out. Yeah. It was like it was like it's, it was kind of cool, but it was kind of like. But it connects because you're you're connected to a whole profession of people, yeah. honestly, that are like underrepresented and misunderstood. Yeah. And so for you to have that tag. And it to be so easily, you know, identifiable yeah. among that community, it's like, oh, that's dope. And I think that's why, like, it kind of blew up, or, yeah. you know, because I like, like, like a lot of social workers follow me for sure. You know, so I was like, I feel like that's, you know, it's just somebody who's doing something, you know, who's trying to do something outside the box. You know, yeah. like I know I, when I was in grad school, I was like, man, if I just if I get this degree just to get a job to sit down and do nothing, 
I've like wasted my time, my my money. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, I was I'm reading books, and there was people who writing books and going on tours, and you know, and all this stuff, Fact. and they got MSWs. I'm like, I. I got that too. I got the MS <laughs> Like, yo, put me on tour. You know, you know what I'm saying. So, yeah. like, um, and uh, there's a lady named Brene Brown. She's very popular. People uh-huh. love Brene Brown, uh-huh. and she's a social worker. She's yeah. an LCS. Or she's an LMSW. What that mean? Um, so it's like LCSW, but you don't like have like the clinical component. Mm-hmm. You know, so like you, so like it's just all about payments you know okay. like so like so like if you're lmsw you, you in some states it's like the precursor to lcsw like you, okay. like you have to get that to get to lcsw but in oregon you can be L- L- lmsw all you gotta do is pay like 200 bucks and you lmsw but you, but that doesn't really mean a lot because you can't bill insurance mm. so it's kind of like i remember somebody telling me it was like a waste of money in, in oregon mm. you know because you can't really do, you ain't really doing nothing with it it seemed yeah. all them titles. It seemed like a lot of school, but you said you took three years. Yeah, three years, and that's a long route. Oh, really? You can do it in two. That's the average, but you can really do it in one. It, wow! If you get the advanced standing. Okay. Yeah, you can do it in one. Dang. Yeah, that's dope. Yeah. So, man, you you fresh in the and I thought you was doing it since you got out of high school or something like that. I you mean. Know? Uh, some like to to a certain degree, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like as far as like therapy, yes, I'm fresh in the therapy. Like I just sure, you know. But uh, as far as like you know, working with people, I've been doing that since uh, since high school. Yeah. And being being a barber, you know, that was like my first kind of uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, that, that, you, you are know, a therapist. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. like I remember taking some of those skills, like listening and you know just and like giving constructive feedback and just you know stuff you learn cutting yeah. hair. I just did that and um yeah it was. Yeah, so I just kind of transferred that to therapy. And I, I'm really I'm trying to figure out a way to do both. You know, so yeah. Yeah, I I really don't want to cut hair again, but but I figure like a mental health themed barbershop might be mm. cool. You know, I'm trying yeah. to trying to work on that. You know, that's, that's, that's a goal of mine to do For something sure. like that. For sure. So, with the uh, with the podcasting journey, like, what's the most surprising thing that has come from it? Like the thing that you didn't think would come with podcasting, but it's been like a pleasant surprise for you. I don't want to sound cliche, but like consistent listeners. Yeah. I didn't think people would give two shits about, <laughs> about, about what I said. You know what I'm saying? I feel you, bro. Because like a, a part of my stitch is that like, yeah, I got a master's degree, but a lot of people who have master's degrees in social work, they be talking so much jargon. Yes. And that's, and that's not my strong suit. Right. I just keep it real. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of stuff that I see is how I see society. Like, I don't really need a lot of stats or numbers to tell me how, <laughs> how I feel about something. You right. know what I'm saying? For so, sure. you know, and stats and numbers, I mean, shit, like, depending on what site you go to, can be different. You right. know what I'm saying? I just kind of know my real life experiences, um, you know, stuff that I read about, um, you know, kind of just, you know, like, because my, my first, or my degree in, uh, in undergrad with social sciences, so really just kind of paying attention to people and movements, mm-hmm. things like that. So that that's where I get a lot of my information from. Yeah, you know. So um, so yeah, it's what was, what was we talking about? <laughs> what was the what was like the the biggest pleasant surprise? Oh, okay. yeah. yeah, people coming back and listening. Yeah. You know, saying like that's really been that's been something. Uh, yeah, and people like really just just following and yeah. keep and staying following. You know, like it's 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 still kind of weird. Anywhere, you know bro. It is. <laughs> it's it's like yo, people are listening. I remember that was the first thing that I was thinking, like in my mind, like who's gonna continue to listen? You feel me? Like for what and yeah. why? But it's crazy how we have so much negative self talk for ourselves. Oh, definitely. And so many other people, are like yo, this is really good. Like I really appreciate it. But I'd be so cynical. I'd be like, 
are they just saying that because they're in my face right now? Yeah. Or do they really? But then it's, it just kept happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, you know? wait, maybe this is kind of good. Yeah. And, then, and then I started to believe it like 50 or 60 episodes later. But at first, I didn't believe I thought people was just gassing me. But yeah. It's a, it's a I mean, great feeling. It, it's easy to feel like people are gassing you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but like you said, we got like, you know, I think we're, we're always going to be our, our, our worst critic, our For harshest sure. critic. But yeah, the, that's the surprise. Um, yeah, surprise that, you know, people um, just take me serious yeah i i like to not be i like to not not take myself so seriously yeah you know what i'm saying but then like um uh my supervisor she told me that i need to take myself seriously because like Mm. if you're a professional and you got like you know like you're actually like now you're like in the realm of like intellectuals and you know like your therapist and you like you have to give a clinical opinion on stuff yeah you know what i'm saying like you don't you you need to quit second guessing yourself if you think this is a thing Mm-hmm. Then you need to say why you think this is the thing, right. you know? Because I didn't. I mean, like I said, I don't really have. A lot, I didn't really have a lot of confidence. I really didn't think nobody would care. Even like f- from podcasting, even like with podcasting, and like from that to like you know, do even like even doing my assessments. You know what I'm saying? I've never. I, I still like struggle. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But I just do it because I know I got to do it. Yeah. You know? So. But the thing is, with with the show, you're you're just an authority just because. You have it, and you've been doing it consistently. Yeah, and so that's that's one thing about business, about entertainment, that we as creators sometimes we don't take that into account. Like we're we're nitpicking ourselves, mm-hmm. and we're just finding every little flaw. Yeah, but the in the big picture, like, and a lot of people uh, people are paying attention, some more intently than others, mm-hmm. but just a simple fact that you have so much content out there. Yeah. And no one is, I mean, there's only a few people that have listened to every one of your episodes. There's only a few people that have listened to every one of my episodes, but people pop in and pop out. But all that matters is when they pop in, what do they think? Yeah. And they can listen to one episode and be like, yo, that dude is dope. Yeah. And that's it. (laughs) That's (laughs) real. And that's, that's all you need. And so you just need like, you know, that, that track record of people saying, yo, that's dope, man. Like, I really like what he's doing. Yeah, and I, yeah, just so yeah, that's been my biggest surprise. Any uh, any people that you never thought you would be able to get on the show, and you messed around and got them on? Uh, shit, everyone, <laughs> <laughs> everybody that like, I this whole thing is yeah, a miracle. Yeah, <laughs> no, but uh, like people that I like, uh, you know, like that I see on um, like I haven't really like reached out to anybody like, you know, that's like um a quasi celebrity. I like to interview other social workers. Yeah, for sure. You know what I'm saying? So like there's but there are some social workers who who look real serious and look you know, look real like intense. Mm-hmm. I send them a DM like, hey, you know what I'm saying I need you to I need you to come through for me and then they and, and they would do it. So yeah. like so so every yeah every social worker that I reach out to, I feel like um, you know, like f- for them to like respect my grind enough, you know, because they don't have to. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you know, for them to like see it and respect it, and you know, what I'm saying like, um, you know, give it the cosign. I feel mm-hmm. like, I feel like, yeah, that's that's love, you know. But yeah, yeah I really just like interviewing social workers. Like, I, I like, I, I, I thought like, like, I thought about the idea of like interviewing somebody with like a little bit of like, you know, TMZ notoriety, but mm-hmm. I, don't, I just don't really like. I mean, like, what am I like? What am I asking? You know, what right? I'm like, like, what do I? I don't really care about. Yeah. You know. I care about like you know this the everyday people. Yeah, me know, too. You, you know the field of social work. I yeah, I'm 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 conflicted because I care way more about the everyday person. That's why I wanted to start this. Like, 
just a platform to speak unapologetically about who you are and what you believe because mm-hmm. I feel like most of society has been muzzled to to only think and say what's popular or what's accepted. Yeah. And you know, if you go outside that box then, you know, Twitter is gonna get you and you know, yep. social media is gonna get you or just people are just gonna whatever, try to regulate what you say. So I'm like, man, I want to create a platform for regular people to get out there and just be able to express themselves. But then there is that mix of like when I do get someone that's somewhat like high profile Mm -hmm. and I see that response, it's like, hmm, that's not what I'm going for. But I see the value in it It is necessary. And people that have kind of been peeping or kind of been paying attention, then they really pay attention. Yeah, that's true. When you get that person, it's just like. Is that is that all it takes? Yeah. Then I'm gonna just start sending DMs to yeah. every. I'm gonna send out twenty a day and then get back three, and it, it can happen, you yeah. know. So, um, I'm debating going that route or you know whatever, just continuing to stay with the the current formula that I've been doing. But yeah. you know, it's that. it's something to consider. Yeah, I mean, I I've, I mean, I will I will lie and say I, have, I haven't thought about it, but it's just mm-hmm. you know like sending DMs and. I don't know. Like, I feel like I, I can tolerate it, like, a little bit of rejection. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if I want to, like, set myself up for the mm-hmm. <laughs> for the big, you know, so, you know what I'm saying, for the big fall. So, but. I mean, but what's the, if Rihanna rejects you, is that a rejection? No. That's, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what you expected. Yeah. <laughs> Denzel Washington rejects you, like, that's he true. should reject me, you yeah. know, so it's just. That's real. Not nah, I feel it's all, I think it's a numbers game. Like, yeah. if you, if you set, set, set yourself up to think, like, all right, I'm about to send out. 10 DMs to 10 celebrities. If I get one, that's a success. Yeah. Or if I send out 100 and I get one, like, yeah. one could, the power of one, bro, like, one interview could set you off. That's real. And it can, like, you know, but I just don't know what I would ask anybody like that. No, I feel you. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the same boat. I'm just talking, bro. But uh, I'm, I'm in the same boat. So I did want to get into um, your time working with, PPS, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of what happened towards the end of it. Now, you had mentioned it a few episodes back. Um, you and Tori Lopez, I think yep. y'all had worked together, right? Yep. yep. Shout out to Tori. She was a dope guest. I really like her energy. Yeah. Um, and it was the, the, the thing that really piqued my interest. It was something around like you guys were talking about how, you know, they they wanted you guys to <laughs> to like go hard when it comes to maybe DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, or I don't know what y'all was going hard for. And, you know, the whites said that they had your back, but then when the rubber met the road, they didn't have your back. Yeah. So that's just me paraphrasing based on what I heard, but I'll I'll let you do the Yeah. So so my supervisor, they weren't white. Oh, they weren't? They were Asian. Oh, well, I mean, (laughs) you know, but... uh, Honorary. Yeah. (laughs) If but, they in, in their mind, if they want to be, but uh, but yeah, so yeah, that job. Uh, I feel like um, at least my role. Um, uh, I feel like it was like a money grab. So like you know, Measure ninety eight came out, and our job was funded through Measure ninety eight. Mm. You know, so, so what was the what did that mean, Measure ninety eight? Trying to um, increase graduation rates. You know, for 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 historically under underserved students, for non white. Kids, basically. Yes. Okay. Non white, non Asian kids. You know, Asian didn't count as historically um, underserved. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, we worked, um, you know, and, and for some schools, you know, the program worked real well, mm-hmm. but I was placed with alternative schools. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like the placement was just bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, I never caught like any kind of um, 
any kind of traction. Mm-hmm. It just was it just was a bad time. But 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 that aside, um, I just feel like you know, um, it was just super political. Mm. I say that super political. Um, like numbers game for real. Like um, you know, like I felt like the principals of high schools was like you know, like you know, they ran in clicks. You what know, you mean? So like you know, some high school, you know, the principal. So like, so like, I feel like there was like a favorite high school, and this favorite high school's principal like, like, kind of set the tone for every, everything. Oh man! You know, so you so. had like a Robert Kraft type, so, you know what I'm saying? like so, the owner of all owners setting the tone yeah, for everybody else. You know, okay. it just felt like that, and I feel like we really didn't get like a fair shot to do any really kind of like anything really great. You know, because mm. it was always like changing. It was always like, okay, you know what I'm saying? You told us to do this. We did it. But now we're getting backlash. But you ain't really, you know what I'm saying, supporting the backlash. Mm. Or then like, you know. Because, Where was the backlash coming from? Uh, just like, you know, counselors, um, school admin, you know. So you were going in there and doing what? So the idea was that I would go in there and I would have a caseload of about 30 kids. And, mm. you know, whose, whose attendance was anywhere who was tier two, a tier two student. Tier two students, like a kid who's almost, who's almost uh, tearing out, like like who's almost on the edge of like you know suspension or mm-hmm. whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So just really, you, you know, they're close enough to where like some interventions could come and you can, um, you know, have them back be down to tier one. Okay. So you go in there, you make phone calls, you have family meetings, you have. Um, you have what they call like a um, attendance team meeting, mm-hmm. and you have to go in there. And you have to show your numbers, and you have to like explain to um, you know the school why this is important, why you you know saying why people need to understand that you need to really practice trauma informed care. We talk to these students mm-hmm. why um, you know like really trying to explain like you know like um, the black student you keep picking on in class can pick up on that. Mm-hmm. So maybe like you know kind of relax, you know, say because I'm sure he ain't the only one in your class that's wilding out. Right, right. You know, so there's things like that. And, you know, people just, like I said, it was political. You know, certain people thought the job was supposed to be one way, but the district thought it was supposed to be another way. And long story short, it kind of just fell apart, you know. So, yeah, mm. it kind of fell apart. It was, we, you know, we, we tried, we, we really tried for about a year and a half. But uh, in uh, June, this, this June, I got laid off. So, you know, and it was just part of a whole restructure and it just was it just was kind of was kind of it was kind of nasty you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying like um i wouldn't really advise any social worker to work for the school district man it's like that i mean i wouldn't yeah i mean so did it fall apart like fairly quickly yes. or did it just kind of deteriorate so slowly I, I, so i don't think that we were supposed to su- survive oh I think they had a plan to use like our like emo- not emotional our intellectual property to make like a handbook and then <laughs> and then and then like just kind of you know hey guys we want to take you out and you know we we, mean, just, we just want to pick your brains dinner on us I mean I mean because <laughs> I mean, because the salary they gave all of us was, like, stupid, ridiculous high. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I feel like that's, like, the thing that's going to make people, like, perk up and come to the sure. you know, come to the table. Yep. You know, and then, um, you know, we put together this handbook. And then um, the director who started it, she left, like, quick. Like, like we got hired in June. or no, January 2018. She was she was leaving that summer. So oh, so when she left, gun. so when she left, it was just kind of just it just really. Was, Do you think she left because she was burnt out and she was frustrated, or she was just a hired gun and was like, "Look, we need you. We gonna pay you double what you would normally get." 
to do this short term type. You know? I feel like um, she just was a qualified person who just who had an idea of what she wanted to do with the school district, mm-hmm. but another school district was like, "We'll pay, we'll pay you more for this." And she was like, "Oh, I'm out." You know, I'll take that check. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but and ever since then, when she left, it was kind of unraveled and it was just shaky, you know. Mm. But I mean, that's just you know, anywhere you work at that has a um, a grant funded program or measure funded program, mm-hmm. you know, because schools really, because I mean, like like the school pattern is like they have counselors and teachers. And that's really all you need security. Mm-hmm. And if you got resources, you can hire more support. If you don't have resources, then you you know what I'm saying you'll have bare bones at least you'll have the the teachers and security and stuff mm-hmm. like that so mm-hmm. so I feel like you know a social worker like myself or anybody who else support you're always gonna be like on the chopping block you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying you, you just always are you know yeah unless you're like in the union which you know some people are but uh you know so, like some social workers are but everyone ain't but even if you're in the union they still can cut you mm. <laughs> they still can cut you so so yeah it, it was an experience I I I didn't enjoy it. Uh, I thought this. I thought it would be um, a little more equitable. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like everybody who walked around the school district building was kind of like scared of like retaliation. Mm-hmm. I just felt like that that aura was in the building. You know, like it was like a building that was kind of like uh, it just it felt like people were just scared. You know, scared of what? Just scared of whatever. Because it was like just like a it was like a some like people had chokeholds in that building. Like it just was like yeah, it just was people just had power. Mm. And if you like the board or just actual employees, um, a little bit of both, you know. I never really saw the board, you yeah. know, but but like you know, I, I I think people just knew that like any given time restructure can happen and I can be gone, you know. What I'm saying so, at least if people like me, then they yeah. keep <laughs> they keep me, yeah, you know. So now I've I've heard that about PPS, yeah, um, and just city, city of Portland in general, but as far as like city workers, but also PPS like that, a lot of drama coming out of that building. Yeah. And, you know, I experienced it as a parent. Um, my son goes to Kairos. Okay. And last year. I used to work there. Oh, for real? Yeah. I worked there for, uh, well, I worked, I worked there like as a contractor on two different occasions. Okay. Yeah. So my last time I was there, I worked there for only a month. Oh, okay. Uh, and, I, and I was a therapist there. That, yeah. yeah so, my son, he started there when they first began. So he started his kindergarten there. Um, and then first grade, he went to first through third grade. He went to Catlin Gable. Mm-hmm. Um, it was cool, but it ended. It didn't end well. Um, <laughs> but then we put him back in Kairos. Yeah. And so la- last year, fourth grade, he's in fifth grade now. But so last year they were fighting to get the. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Get get the to renew the lease because it's just like. For one, why are they even fighting for it? Like the school yeah. had grown from operating out of Life Change Church to mm-hmm. that school, and it's like what other school? Like that school is serving. It's the only school that specifically serves black kids. Yeah, and it's just like yo, that's all that we have. Yeah, as far as like any type of lower school, Ain't that elementary a school. How like <laughs> you know when it's when it's something like that, it's like why? Like why is it us? You know, yeah. so why is it always? One of ours that got. I don't hear about no other schools <laughs> fighting for yeah. a building. Yeah, you know, you know. I'm maybe I'm just not paying attention. Nah, uh, well, yeah. You, you, I mean, the only schools it. that shut down are schools that are, um, like have a, a high non-white population. So, yeah. like the only other school that I remember recently shutting down, other than Humboldt, because Humboldt hasn't been there for a while. Yeah. Um, 
but that's where they're at now. But they shut down Marshall, right? Yeah. And that had a lot of like Hispanic uh, yeah. population and um, just a higher poverty rate out there. So it's just like they they know who to pick on. I think they go open it back up. Well, yeah. Once once they finish building all the other schools, yeah, remodeling think, them, and then they can open yeah, it back up. They but they're like, back up. hmm, what's the most disposable yeah. high school in the city? I feel like uh, they about to open that back up. Yeah, but I mean, I wonder where they they might have to use it for a while because Benson has to get rebuilt. I heard Benson was gonna stay there. No, while, it is. So, I, well, Bob, Bob saying like like the school's gonna be there. Oh, like, while they're rebuilding, yeah, while they're rebuilding. That's what I heard. I heard I heard they weren't gonna go do Marshall. That could be nasty. <laughs> Because it's like a two-year project, bro. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it sucks. Like, I feel bad for those kids at Grant that was, like, juniors, had to finish their junior and senior year. At Marshall. At Marshall. Like, that, does, that yeah. is trash, bro. <laughs> that, that is, is so far away from your neighborhood. That is weak. Uh, and for those that are not from Portland, like, going from Grant High School to Marshall, that's like. That's a nice little track. Yo. Yeah. With traffic now, that's a 45-minute drive in the morning. Easy. Easy. From northeast Portland all the way to deep southeast. Yeah. If you're on the bus, that's an hour and fifteen minutes. Like it's <laughs> it's crazy. So them kids had it they had it hard. But that's probably the the most adversity that he went through. Yeah. Growing up in that neighborhood. But anyway. <laughs> um <laughs> I want I want to talk about a hard hitting topic and I also want to talk about a light hearted topic. Okay. But I don't know which way to transition, man. I'm gonna let you choose what's the topics so topic number one okay um depression among black teens and how they deal with that topic number two Mm -hmm. pharrell the new masculinity gq cover okay photo man we can start with uh pharrell let's start with pharrell man yeah, we're taking a sharp left turn <laughs> from social work, but I don't know. I, well, maybe maybe we can tie this together. It's that's like those kind of identities are still social work because if okay. you're if you're like a therapist or if you're like a person who works with a lot of people, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna work with a, like a multifaceted uh, group of people. So, so for yeah, sure, it's, it's still for social sure. work. Yeah. So for those that have not seen and or heard, um, not too long ago, GQ put out one of their latest ep- or magazines mm-hmm. and. On the cover is Pharrell, and he is wearing Pharrell Williams, the guy of happy, uh, <laughs> you know, architect of Neptunes and hip-hop producer extraordinaire, if you don't know who he is. So um, he is wearing a dress that looks like – it looks like it's like a first-down, triple-fat goose poncho dress thing. <laughs> It is crazy, yeah. but it's a it's a jacket dress, mm-hmm. um, shawl, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a gordita looking thing, and the title on the cover of the magazine is "The New Masculinity." Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what to think about that. I'm still yeah. processing it. Okay, I know you mentioned it on one of your latest episodes. I did. When you see him in that dress and you see the title New Masculinity on the cover right next to it. Yeah. What goes through your mind? Um, what goes to my mind is uh I don't really like the outfit and mm-hmm. I don't like the term the new masculinity because it's not new. I mean look at Prince. 
Okay. Look at like, you know, um, Lenny Kravitz actually dresses kind of like, you know, ambiguous, mm. you know, um, and he, they're straight men. You know what I'm saying? Jaden I mean, Smith was wearing dresses and skirts at, at certain points in his life. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So, so like, I don't really feel like that's new. I feel like that's just, I feel like, the, the, I don't even really feel like the acceptance of it is new. I just, I feel like it was like kind of like a, something that, that sell to sell people going. Yeah. you know. But as far as like, um, so there, there is a lot of people who think that like that kind of stuff being presented to us is making our young men soft. Okay. Mm. And you know, I can see how somebody thinks that. Yeah. Me knowing how human beings are, I just kind of I don't I'm not naive. I just know that that kind of shit's been going on forever. Mm. And, and, and I don't mean say shit like it's not important. That kind of stuff's been going on forever. You know. What well, you talking about the stuff as far as, well, as far someone as like, presenting, as far or as just someone dressing like that. As, as far as, as all of it. Yeah. The trans, uh, the trans, the um, you know the. The men being a little softer, um, dressing a little, you know, like it's more, more feminine. feminine yeah. yeah, that's yeah. been going on forever. But as far as like us accepting it, people were closeted. Mm-hmm. It. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like, so it's not that you, it's, it's not that it's turning people out. It's just people have the space to feel comfortable now mm-hmm. in their own skin. Mm-hmm. That, that's just how I see it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But as far as like, I would be. I just would do myself a disservice if I preached a message that that none of that shit was happening before. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like, come on, like, it. it <laughs> I just don't think you know what I'm saying. Like, we're like our generation's that special to where you know what I'm saying. We like you know what I'm saying. Like, we, like we grew up tough, and because we grew up tough, nobody felt that way. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? There, there's always been there's always been softer men. There's always been you know homosexuals. It's always it's, it's always it's, it's always been that stuff. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I don't think I don't think it's new. Like I said, Prince. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Prince. So see how you see how Prince Prince dressed like that forever. Well, was and, he wearing dresses? But come on, man. Them blouses. A blouse is different from a dress. But with the uh, little dangly shit in the front. Yeah, come I feel- on. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Purple. You know, I ain't nothing wrong with purple. See, now, see now, Cameron wore pink. See, but <laughs> true, you yeah. know what I'm saying. But and Cameron it, was one of the hardest dudes out. He was, but but even but even the pinky wore like it was a pink fur. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, that's kind of soft. That's yeah, kinda, but it was like a it was a it was a Cameron, fresh fur. Cameron was fly. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And yeah. and he was, a, but but what I'm saying like so so back to like Prince. You know what I'm saying? His he he dressed him and his whole click, click dressed like that. Yeah, and you would not leave them around your girlfriend. Nah, nah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I feel like that kind of stuff. I'm like, like even looking in the '70s, looking at like even early hip hop songs, like uh, the um, Grandmaster Flash Freeze Five. You see all them cats used to dress. Well, you know I mean, if saying? that was the norm, was see, that was, was that the norm for them? Like you talking about like wearing tight clothes and stuff. The tight clothes, the cowboy boots, and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, but that, you know that was that was the swag. <laughs> but at but at the same time, it's they they weren't perceived as you know feminine or doing something that goes counter to, I don't know the status yeah. quo, whatever. They I don't just fly. I don't know how they were perceived because I wasn't alive back then. Yeah, but but it it looks it looks like the same stuff that everybody's wearing these days. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I just feel like it's not new. It's just we're trying to make it new, but. They're they're always going to be that kind of part of culture or that counterculture, yeah. and I just feel like now because people like Billy Porter, Pharrell, um, you said Jane Smith earlier, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, just kind of having the space to to like. Uh, so 
I was watching um, this the Carmichael show. Okay. So um, man, and, and I wish they would bring that back. <laughs> that was that was funny. That was a dope show. And his dad, I remember there was an episode where him and his dad were trying to fix the roof. Uh huh. And his dad just couldn't understand why Jared this was not like a man. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then you know he he talking to him. He's like, you know, like men are different nowadays. You know what I'm saying? Like like I'm a man around the house that needs a man around the house. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this shit like that. It's like kind of like you know like it's it, it's creating a space for every man to be a man for sure. You know what I'm saying? And it's and but the sad part about it is that you would think that um, you know because we're trying to be more accepting that you know it, it would have a positive effect on our on our youth. But I feel like. The rise of depression and suicide rates has something to do with it, because because even still in our community, we're still kind of a we're still kind of a closeted people. You know, what mm. I'm saying like we still. So you have, think the the suicide and the depression kind of comes from people uh, feeling like their lifestyle is oppressed or yes targeted. I feel like I just feel like um, between like you know. Uh, Cops killing black people, yeah, and me seeing it on the news every day, yeah, that that stress, you know, mm-hmm. or you know, what I'm saying maybe not being the smartest guy in the class or gal in the class, mm-hmm. um, teacher fucking with me, mm-hmm. home life is crazy, and if I'm not like the quote unquote man's man or woman's woman, I'm getting fucked with, you know, yeah. what I'm saying so like I can't feel like, win for losing, you know, so yeah. I feel like a lot of that stuff has something to do with it, and then like social media. Like, so when we was kids, you know what I'm saying, like, you get bullied, you go home, hopefully, you, when you come back to school the next day, you can kind of avoid the smoke, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying, like, mm-hmm. and you can get, you can kind of move about your day. Mm-hmm. But with social media, the thing is, like, it don't stop. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think that's the biggest, um, that's the biggest thing that I think that, that contributes to, um, like, the, you know, like, the rate of depression. Yeah. And... And the suicide rate because like people get bullied. Like I know people think, oh well, if, if you get cyber bullied, you know what I'm saying, to turn the phone off. But it's like it's not that easy because right. it's you need your phone. Yeah, and everybody's and, on the phone. You know what I'm saying? That's how they get your information. You know, so like, so like, so like, even if I don't have Facebook, yeah. people still gonna text me the picture, the meme they made of me, or yeah. well, all that kind of stuff. So I feel like our generate the generation under us has it bad. And nobody wants to really understand them. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Well, but before we get into that, because I, I want to tackle that as well. Okay. Um, with the Pharrell thing and the new masculinity, I, the way that I'm processing it right now, and that's the the tough thing about podcasting, as you know, as unapologetic as I am and I want to be and I will be, but it's like when you're processing information, mm-hmm. I already know because I. I didn't know that I was like this, but I now I know, so I can't deny it. Like, yeah, I will feel strongly about something at one point in time, mm-hmm. and then as I get more information, I don't have a problem changing my mind. Yeah, and changing my disposition based upon the information that I have and just the the time that I processed it. And all right, now I've come to a different conclusion. But it's funny, like certain people here, are like, bro, you sound crazy, bro. Two months ago. You felt the total opposite. I'm like, well, it happens. It happens, bro. <laughs> like, especially that I'm putting all my ideas out there and they're recorded in timestamp. Like, yeah, you know exactly two months ago what I said, you yep. know. <laughs> but, um, but long story short, I think it's I don't like the new masculinity right now. I don't like that they're putting new masculinity around that. Okay, and so to me. 
in the media when it comes to masculinity, what is toxic, what should be celebrated, what we need to accept or not accept. For whatever reason, it seems to revolve around black men. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And anytime I see pretty much white media getting behind us or mm -hmm. propping us up, it's not genuine. Yeah. History has shown us that. Yeah. Time and time again, they do not care about us. Mm -hmm. Racism and white supremacy is business. Facts. Them putting Pharrell on their um, on the cover of their magazine, of course, that's a business move. He's a, he's a celebrity. Yeah, because if 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 it was just you know the new masculinity you put any dude on there, right? But <laughs> they but they know Pharrell is swaggy, and he's fearless, mm -hmm. and he's a dude that is a, a futurist. And if that's what he sees for the future, like yeah, I'll rock it, you know. And he's that type of guy. So I don't have nothing. I don't you know. Pharrell can do what he wants to do. Anybody can do what they want to do. But the initial problem that I have with it is just like, why are they continuing to do this? Yeah. Why are they putting him out there? Why are they putting, what's his name, Billy, Billy, uh, Porter. Billy Porter out there? Granted, Billy Porter is, he is homosexual. Yeah. He is flamboyant. Like, that's his personality, and that's his swag on an everyday basis. Yeah. Pharrell is more of like experimental. Like, he'll try anything, and he'll where whatever like he'll wear men's clothes but then women like he you know he's fluid with his expression yeah but billy that's that's who he is so that's that you know it is what it is but it's like why are they propping these people up you mean to tell me it ain't no white men that dress like that yeah like what white men have you seen in a dress in the past five years mm, i see a lot of them around town i'm talking about in the media <laughs> when there's like certain social media or certain you know, award shows or mag like you don't see them propping up. I don't see it. Maybe it's just because I'm stuck in my bubble. Yeah. You know, but it's like, why are they propping us up and they don't even rock with us like that? Yeah. You know, why, why are they making us out to be the example? So whether it's the new masculinity is white men or toxic masculinity, it's going to be black men. Yeah. It's going to be, uh, R Kelly It's going to be, Chris Brown is going to be whoever, uh, what's his name, Antonio Brown. Mm -hmm. But for every R. Kelly, Antonio Brown, Chris Brown, all these Browns, uh, <laughs> how many white dudes have gotten charged? But, like, they're not in the cycle, the news cycle. Yeah. And then when they go to court and they got 40 or 50 people going, it's Bill Cosby. But it's like, they all, we're always, <laughs> the, the, we're taking the brunt of toxic masculinity, black men. Yeah. And I'm, and my problem with it is people believe what they see. Yeah. So there are people that are swayed just because the media puts that out there about us. And then, you know, then you see this little trickling and firestorm of black women hating black men. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't and I don't care what white people think about us as far as white women care about black men. Like, but our sister. So basically there, there's a divide between us. And now we're arguing amongst each other and we're canceling each other mm -hmm. and and it's just like so it's all bad like so nobody wins except for white people or the people that are in control causing the confusion and causing the division among yeah. us mm -hmm. so that that's my problem looking at it as who's putting it out there and what's their motive and, yeah and is it pure i don't 
I don't think it is. Yeah. That's that's how I approach it at well, this point in time. I feel like um, media is never like pure. You know what I'm saying? Like you mentioned Billy Porter. Yeah. And that's his, like you said, that's his swag. So like, right. so whether he had a camera in his face or not. He was going to be dressed like that. <laughs> he yeah. knows that he's going to be him. You know, and speaking of Billy Porter, it's like, yeah, like you might think he's feminine, but that dude's ripped. He might be able to do more push-ups than I can. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, so, yeah. so you really, I mean, all this stuff is like, you know, just kind of perspective, but, but at the same time, I think they use us to sell uh, products. Right, you know what I'm saying, but then like, you, like again, like you said, um, you know, like your circle, like so, like my circle, toxic masculinity, we blame it on white supremacy, you know, so we don't blame it on black men, mm-hmm. it's blaming on it's it's the white supremacy aspect of toxic masculinity that that we kind of look at as like fuck that shit is fucked up, yeah, you know what I'm saying, but in the media, <clears throat> you know what I'm saying, because the media's job is to kind of make us look look, look foolish, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, yes, it's gonna look it's gonna look that way, yeah. you know, but. I mean, as far as masculinity and toxic masculinity, the only thing I think about masculinity that's toxic is if you have one thing that defines masculinity and you force that thing upon me. What do you mean? So, like, say, like... Um, oh, like being a man's man and fixing yeah, stuff around the house, you know like saying, on the Carmichael show. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, if that's your idea of masculinity, but you want me to do that, I'm not really feeling that. Mm-hmm. You know, are, are, are you putting, like, that kind of, um, you know, like... That's, just that kind of aura, like around, like you know, like your this, family. This is how and, you got to do it. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like they're so they are controlling the narrative. They're trying to shape the narrative. So the way that yeah. Gerard Carmichael's dad did to him, now GQ and somebody outside of our culture is putting a black face and on their term, this is the new masculinity. So you guys need to fall. It's like this is it, guys. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel you. Yeah, and you you're right. I mean, like you, you can definitely see like a a malice when it comes to like media. Yeah. But the thing is that outside the media, we got the real world. You for know sure, for sure. And if and if for real dressing like that helps little black boys be themselves. Yeah. Even though GQ probably doesn't give two shits about that. They don't. I do. Yeah, for you sure. Because that's that's the work you know, that you're doing. Yeah. yeah. So so I so I appreciate that part of it. But you're right though. Like why? And I never really thought about that. You know what I'm saying? Like I think they use black males because in in the face of media, we're like, you know, the physical specimen of a man. You know what I'm saying? So like uh so you know, like our like our physical specimen is like is like um, is like supposed to be like top tier. So when you so when you put Pharrell in that big ass coat, mm-hmm. you know the contrast is something that you get. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because because I do see a lot of like white men in magazines looking softer already. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's the kind of you know that's kind of how they how they portray white men to look. You know, like a little you know just always kind of look a little just a little like more nicer and calmer. Mm-hmm. But if you put a black man, you know what I'm saying who who in history. We're supposed to be like the, you know, the, you know, super macho masculine. Yeah. And if you put the contrast of the new masculinity, then it, I feel like it, to the media, it it hits more. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? Because the contrast sure. is so deep. Yeah. You know, so that's why I think about that. But yeah, you are right to feel malice and feel like they're doing setting us up. But there's always two sides to a coin. It is. There are people who are going to be softer and still going to be masculine because mm-hmm. they're men. And you know, uh, one of my buddies, um, who's a social worker out in Boston, um, shout out to the bearded social worker, he's all about, you know, involving queer men, trans mm-hmm. men, you know, all that stuff. We yeah. and f- black men, you know what I'm saying? We all gotta 
we all gotta. If it ain't for every man, then he he don't want a part of it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? He's a straight. Yeah, I mean, if if you black, you black. Yeah, like that, that's that's all I care about at, at the end of the day, man. Like I'm all about the advancement of my people. Mm-hmm. And so if you black, you black, and we gonna put on for each other. Yeah. Um. I just I just don't like when white people meddle in our affairs and try to create narratives around us that would you know what I mean it's just like stay out of our business yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know like don't try to come in here and tell me what's best for me or tell me what this oh this is how you need to be like who who are you I feel you on that one like you're not from my community so don't even try I feel you on that one yeah I can I can can definitely understand that one yeah man but there's there's a lot more that could be said about that but I'm gonna just wait take some time (laughs) sleep on it let it marinate and like I said a month from now I'll probably feel different from it probably have a much more intellectual way of uh, approaching it but yeah. that's just my initial reaction. <laughs> <laughs> um so let's let's get into actually I mean some of this leads into what we're going to talk about as far as like black teens and depression. Mm-hmm. Um some of that may come from their their lifestyle or just how they were born, uh their sexual preference um and not like you said not knowing how to deal with it among all the other things yep. that are going on in their life and just going on in the world. Yeah. So I got super inspired to talk about it cuz today I was at uh, Lions High School at at Meek. Um shout out to them. I'm helping them set up their or they already have a setup. I'm just kind of helping them with their Black Student Union that they just got going on and uh one of the leaders um Beja, shout out to Beja. She had this very beautiful piece of artwork with a poem on there, and I just want to read it and allow her poem to spark our next part of the conversation. Um, So here it goes. Institutionalize, internalize, unrecognize. When you are stuck in your mind, paralyze and help doesn't sound right. Raised with the notion that help isn't for us. Exposed to the ghetto, exposed to you. Seen as criminals, but we are just youth. When the post-traumatic stress disorder hits us 25% harder and the post-traumatic slave disorder hits the hardest. Mm. I bet you never heard a grown man scream at night because all the brothers he all the brothers he's seen die because all the times he's wanted to die, but he can't leave his people behind. Yeah. So deep. That is. She's a senior in high school, bro. I was like, yo, do you do spoken word? Yeah. Cause that is that's dope, man. And so and so that was like in the middle, but all around it, she just has these facts. And so um black teens are more likely to attempt suicide than white teens, eight point three percent versus six point two percent. African Americans as a whole are ten percent more likely to experience serious psychological distress. Um Let's see. Suicide deaths among black women ages 13 through 19 rose 182 percent between 2001 and 2017, uh, while the rates among black males rose 60 percent in that same time period. Uh, Let's see. Black youth, black youth expressed depression in many different ways um, than the general population. Perception of lack, lack of control internalization avoidance of valued action i mean she has so many good things on here and it was just like wow she's really going in deep and 
she knows what's going on and she has her finger on the pulse of it, man. And and you're you're working with the with the kids, man. Yeah. You're doing that work in the school. So just based upon everything that I just read, bro, how does that hit you and how have you been helping them, you know, work through this? Um, so really the 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 thing that we try to do is like normalize those kind of conversations. Yeah. Normalize, you know, um getting help. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard, like, it's hard, um, one thing is, like, a lot of black kids don't, they think therapy are just not feeling normal, means something's wrong with them, Mm -hmm. you know, so, like, so, really, um, building rapport is a good way to kind of, like, you know, come through, say your what's up, say your small talks, and then hopefully, you know what I'm saying, when they ready, they can come around and they'll say, hey, I got something that's bothering me, you know what I'm saying, do you mind if we talk about it, Mm -hmm. you know, and then... Um, and then you work on it from there, but uh, but this generation has a lot of a lot of stuff going on. I remember when I was um, uh, intern at Grant, there was one kid. Uh, he's black. He was just scared to death all the, every time, every day, just because yes. this is around 2017, 16. Man. So like this is like when um, you know a whole bunch of police shootings were happening. For sure. You know what I'm For saying? Sure. So you got to worry about that. Then you got to worry about just like being black and, you know, you know, other black people, we ain't always that nice to other right. black people. Right. You know what I'm saying? So he just didn't, he just didn't know where to fit in. He was kind of a square too. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like he was a super tough. He just was a kid who wanted to just, he just, he didn't want to, he didn't want to exist. paranoid, just ultimate. Yeah, you know, yeah. he would just smoke hell weed. Like he just would self-medicate. Mm-hmm. But, so things like that, you know what I mean? Like it, it's just different, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, Oppression is trauma, you know what I'm saying? Like, sure. like when you oppress, it's trauma. And people yeah. might think about it that way, but if you in a if you in a school building, like besides Jeff or McKay down in Salem, I don't know any other high schools that's going to be like people of color, right? So you're already in that kind of environment, um, you know, and you already got to deal with like the um, the unconscious biases for sure that that teachers and principals or whoever might have. So. So you really you just kind of kids know like they yeah. know what's going on. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. and 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 they super defensive because that's just kind of how you call me out. Now I think I'm in trouble, so now I'm just I gotta defend myself. I'm just that's a fact. you know I'm it's fight or flight, and I'm yeah. and I'm fighting. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So so really, um, the help out with that is just kind of just showing up, mm-hmm. showing up, showing you you your support. A lot of times, uh, kids might think you the police. Or they think you might be some like kind of square who don't really just being know a, them. a therapist. Some sometimes, wow. yeah, you know. So, yeah. um, so it takes a lot to kind of build rapport mm-hmm. and 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 have them have them walls get you know taken down. Yeah, you know. But the, you read about um, teens and uh, suicide. Yeah. Now, like the old folk tales that black people didn't do that. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying now we're seeing that. No, nah, that's we actually do. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm saying because. Life is hard, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Because on a typical day, you can get it from your own people. You can get it from the system. You can get it mm-hmm. from white people. You can mm-hmm. just go like like just 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 traveling, just traveling a day, and you can just be like you know you can just get fucked with by everybody. Yeah, you know like uh, I know when I was um, coming up, I was always looked at as not black enough. You know what I'm saying? But then a lot, you Why? know. I'm just because I, I was I was I was square. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? I was square. I'm, I had a few. I had a few girls call me like a white boy, you know. Really? What I'm yeah, just. But I was just, I was square. I had. In, oh, because you didn't disrespect them enough. Oh, see, I'm you, not, you were too I'm nice. Not, hey, I'm not about to. I'm not about to. I'm not huh? about to open up that Pandora huh? box. <laughs> I was just playing. I was just playing. <laughs> 
it, it just always cracks me up. Like, especially, it was different. Like, when I went to school in, in Houston in the South, man, the dudes that got the most girls mm-hmm. talked the greasiest to them. Yeah. Like, whoever talked to a girl the worst just talked down to her. And it came through, and, and I'm just like, yeah. yo, is that is that what it takes? <laughs> like, I just gotta sting you up all day, and then you respect me. I don't know. It was yeah. it was weird, man. See, but that that's a whole thing you can unpack right there. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, that's 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 deep. But it was uh, deep. so really, so like, and then like when I'm around like white people, I was too I was too black. Of course. So so you get like you just gotta get this mold to where like you really just trying to find yourself. And yeah. when I was experiencing that, I was in college. And college really was like a tough place for me. I had a lot of depression in college just because. Where'd you go? Uh, Western Oregon. Oh you know. yeah, you're gonna be depressed out there. You know, uh, you know but that's, a, that's Monmouth, right? Yeah. Ooh, so wait. for those that are not in the Portland, Oregon metro area, yeah, it's crazy. That is an hour, hour and a half. About an hour and ten. Hour and ten minutes outside of Portland, yeah. and anything, you know, <laughs> fifteen minutes south of Northeast Portland is hella white. Crazy. So you get out there, you know, what I'm saying. So it's the whitest of whites. So, but yeah, out there though, I I I just was really I th- I think I was just you know doing a little too much uh, self indulging. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I remember I went out there, I lost hella weight, and I thought that that was gonna like make me happy, mm. and really didn't. You know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, but yeah, so so um, me like having these testimonies. I tell that to kids too. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It, it kind of helps you know normalize my role. You know, um, I know being a therapist or being a social worker or being any kind of case manager, there's always kind of like that authority client role, you know, so like, like you have the power, you're the, you know, so you're the muscle and mm-hmm. then they're just like the, you know, the weak little client. But it works better if you do treatment together. Mm. You know what I'm saying? That's how you're supposed to do. You're supposed to, you and you and me and you, if you're if you my if you're my patient or my client or mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. Um, me and you supposed to sit down and you're supposed to figure out a plan. Yeah. You know, because I can't really, I can't tell you what to do. Right. You know, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, working with teens, black teens, building rapport is like a must. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You got to do that. You got to normal, you got to try to normalize therapy. You know what I'm saying? You got to involve parents. Mm-hmm. The best way you can, you know, you got to make sure the parents is on board with whatever you're doing. So everybody just kind of knows what's up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Everybody everybody needs to know the plan of action. Mm-hmm. You know, like what we about to do to, to help you out, you know. And yeah. if it's a if it's somebody at school that's that's bothering them, like a teacher or something, then, you know, you, you go to the teacher. That's your role. That's your that's your role as a uh, social worker or yeah. whatever, or you know, you are you either do that or you could email a counselor and have the counselor talk to them, whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. But um, or you know, like sit down and have um, mediations. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just yeah. to really kind of just to get people on the same accord. And sometimes teachers are 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 pretty receptive to like a feedback. Yeah. You know, because a lot of times they don't know that what they're doing is like you know. Um, Bias, right? You know, like right. you know, they're just doing, you know, what, what comes natural. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know, this kid is in my classroom. He's always loud, you know. Um, so I don't. He's disruptive. I don't want that in my classroom. But mm-hmm. you know, Timmy might be a little bit, you know, disruptive. But when I tell him to shut up, he shuts up. Mm-hmm. So you know, you know, I tell Jamal to shut up. He got another joke for me, so mm-hmm. he got to go. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But so and then like and then I had and then that has you know. You know Jamal hating the teacher, 
and then the teacher hates Jamal too. So it's like it's like yeah. it's like a circle, a cycle. So you, so like you got to come together and kind of really at least have them see eye to eye. Yeah. Know, try, you know. Yeah, man. It's I mean, like what Beja wrote, man. It's it's a lot that we're dealing with as black people, um, with the especially the post traumatic slave syndrome that that she mentioned, and um, it's just trauma that's passed down generationally, yeah. and it's it's in our DNA. Yeah. So we're we're going through things that we're not aware of, mm-hmm. um, and then we're going through what's really happening to us. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's yeah. just man. So I started teaching a podcasting course at SEI um, okay. just a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to meet and kind of helping them out. So um, it's it's been very interesting, like reconnecting. Uh, with that demographic of high school kids and just talking to them and just hearing their stories as far as like what's going on, man. Mm-hmm. And I have to look back and I have to, like, salute my parents for real, for real. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's just like my childhood was pretty, pretty cool, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was and, – and you don't know what you have until you actually go through it and then look back and, like, be able to evaluate it. Yeah. And then I just think, and I'm hearing the stories that these kids are going through and, you know, some of them, you know, adopted, been to multiple foster homes. Um, some of them like, you know, you some, some of them are like first generation from Mexico or something mm-hmm. like that, but like they don't really have much family here. So like moms is struggling and we've yeah. been moving from here to there and other people, well, my mom just got laid off, so yeah. you know we're staying with somebody else. But that, she, but she's crazy, and she cut off our yeah. internet, and I couldn't do my homework. And it's just like yeah. kids are going through so many things, and it's just like who's gonna advocate for it because they can't do yeah. anything, bro. Yeah. They're just kind of stuck. You're right about that, especially like if you're in alternative school. Those those kids almost all the time have, like, the same kind of story going yeah. on. You know what I'm saying? Like you said, foster care, homelessness. Yeah. I mean, most uh, of them stories, is, I mean, kids going to different schools, not even just the, the yeah, you know? Yeah, because because Portland's so expensive, we, 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 we're we seeing a rise of uh, homeless youth. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Our youth experiencing housing insecurities. Yeah. You know, so, um, so yeah, it's, it is sad. And it's, they do go through a lot, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and then you add, um, there was um, those camps. You know those camps down there in a you know, you know the homeless border. camps. No, not oh, homeless you camps, talking about yeah, yeah, yeah. You know for the, the um, what they call them? The little de- detention. Yeah, detention centers. Yeah. You feel me? Like you got yeah. you got that going on. Basically, internment camps. They yeah, can call it detention center if they want to. But it's it's an internment camp for kids, bro. You know what I'm saying? So so like you got to really you got that shit going on, mm-hmm. and so you got this girl who who don't really know where to who to look at for you know for guidance because. You know, her dad is in trouble. Her dad's in, you know, he might get deported. Mom might get deported. You know, she might come home to nobody. Right. You know, so I actually that happened to uh, a student I was working with last year. Really? Yeah. You know, she, she just. Their parents did get deported? I can't remember if it was both or if it was one of them. But, it's cold. You know, so, yeah, you're right. Kids are dealing with a lot. Yeah. And, you know, I just don't, I just think that our the, the world that we living in, it's just it's it's hard. It's really hard because everything is everything's expensive. You For know, sure. so everything everything costs. You yeah. know, what I'm saying everything in our generation is is expensive. So that stuff trickles down to the kids. You know, like if you you know if you live in paycheck to paycheck and you got kids, you know what's gonna happen when that check stops. 
Man. You know what I'm saying? That's all. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. And I feel like nobody, you're right, nobody's, nobody's really advocating. You know what I'm saying? It's so much, it's so much paperwork and just like loopholes to, you know, to get stuff done. It just makes it hard. Yeah. It makes it tough. Crazy, bro. So what, what, what's like the most common, if this even exists, like what's the most common advice that you give? You know, when you dealing with high school kids and they're, you can tell that they're going through depression and just going through a lot of obstacles. Like, what's the, what's your, what's your go to, or is it just more nuanced than that? It's more nuanced than that. Yeah. Uh, but my go to really is trust to try to help them. You know, um, if if we could pinpoint something that's causing depression mm-hmm. or ca- causing those symptoms, mm-hmm. then address that. But a lot of it is just really just connecting, uh, um, building relationships. Yeah. Um, letting them, letting them kind of be themselves in my space. Right. You know, what I'm saying like if they're in my space, they can be themselves. They can, they can chill. We can talk. We can talk about music. We can talk about shoes. We can talk about whatever. You right. know. Um. So, but it it really all depends on on the case. You know, because some some people want to engage with you, and some teens don't. Yeah. You know, they just like I I, don't, I ain't feeling nothing you got to say, mm-hmm. and that's that's cool. I let them know that's cool. You know right. what I'm saying? But. I'm gonna be here when you want to speak, and you know. So, but yeah, it's just it really depends on the case. But I gotta be there and be available, huh? Yeah, right. You're right. You know what I'm saying. But I really just want teens and kids, even adults that I work with, to feel comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. You know, but it's tough because a lot of the you know a lot of the outside sources that they deal with, you know, is puts a puts a um, you know like a a stop to that. Yeah. Just because they're dealing with so much. For sure. You know. So. Wow, man. Yeah. I tell people, you know, you, you can't mindfulness your way out of oppression. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know, like therapy is good and all, but if you're but if you stuck in a rut, you know, like, you might need a little more than therapy. Yeah. Uh, so, but, see, but then that's when you need a community behind you, you know? Like, yeah. I'm really interested in really trying to get some stuff going out east because out east, I feel like we left them, you know, like people who live out there, like we left them to die, you know, because everybody trying to come back here. Yeah. And you know, and trying to build community here, keep SEI here, all that stuff. But yeah. it's like we just we got There's more. Yeah, There's you know more out there. Yeah, yeah. And we and, and there ain't really never been a community out there for anybody. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, I'm just really I'm really interested in working more out that way, just because like private practice. No, nah, private practice. Private practice is a. Uh, I just I, I just was dealing with that, and mm. private practice is tough. Yeah. Because. Either you t- either you take cash, mm. and a lot of people can't just be dropping off hundred bucks an hour. You know, mm-hmm. what I'm saying, or you bill OHP, mm-hmm. and that takes like I just got a check from my uh, place I was contracting with, mm-hmm. and it was services from June on there. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? At the end of October, that's when you got your check. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so man. so it's it's so it's and that's the barrier. You know, so because yeah. I feel like. And and if you got private insurance, it's worse because mm. they really take a, a long take time to pay sweet you. Time, huh? You know, so yeah. it's, but but not even like in a private practice. Just like having somewhere like maybe a group yeah. or something. You know, like maybe see if I can find like somebody who let me host for free. Just say come one, come all. You yeah. know, and this is talk. This is talk it out. Just make it happen. Yeah, but I mean that's one of my goals. But you know, I'm just yeah. I feel like we just left. You know, everybody the numbers out to just kind of fend for themselves, and it's like, and it's and it's kind of crazy out there. I'm so oblivious to what's going on out there because I don't got no family living out there. Yeah. Like all my family is 
<laughs> really in Vancouver, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like everybody moved over the bridge on, you know, my side of things. So I used to live off of hundredth and Gleason and once I moved from there back into near near Kenton, like I just I don't go out there. Yeah. So well, but every time I do venture out there it's just like a you know oh, it's totally new world. It's, so Yeah. <laughs> I mean I don't be out there like that either, but when I like you said, when I, like like when I'm out there it's like right. it's like damn. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. bro. Well, um, I like to end every episode with the Fab Five. Five questions I ask. I, I forgot about. Oh. Forgot about this. Okay. Here All we right. go. Here we go. You ready? Yep. All right. So you are the hip hop social worker. Yep. So what artist or album made you fall in love with hip hop? Man, uh, shoot. Uh, artists. I want to say, like. Um, Man, the RZA, I used to like the RZA a lot. Mm. You know, when I was a little kid, I used to like, he was, he just was so, like, dope. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't, he wasn't always, like, the best rapper. No. But. <laughs> he had a funny cadence, but it was, it was unique. Yeah, and it, I, I feel like it fit, like, his whole style. I remember, I remember loving, loving the RZA. And, uh, like, when I, like, when I first, like, I mean, I, I did with that with rap, but, like, when I got, like, to that age, when, like, Wu-Tang came out. Yeah. And I got that, um. Which Wu Tang tape did I buy? I didn't. I, I didn't get the first one because I was. Oh, you like, got Wu Tang Forever. Yeah, yeah. That one was cold. That was dope. That was cold. But so like, like RZA really, like he really he was the artist that was like, okay. Hip hop really? school. But then from there, Jay Z's like my all time favorite rapper. Right. You know what I'm saying? I, I really don't understand his deal with the NFL. I'm about to say how but, you how you feel about that because you know I feel like it was I, I feel like it was unnecessary. Mm. Like like. I, I'm I'm not against anybody partnering with anybody. Right. If you know, if if just keep it a hundred. You know what I'm saying? Right. The NFL is probably somebody you should want to have in your in your pockets. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So yeah. like, you know, but don't try to like masquerade it like something that's not. Just, yeah. just keep it just keep it a stack. You right. know what I'm saying? Because you don't need them to do any kind of social justice work. You know. <laughs> you know, I mean, you don't. You know what I'm saying? So just be like, and they don't have to do it. It's like they're a corporation, bro. Yeah. And co- I mean, they're they they are making money off black bodies. Just I mean, they're they're exploiting black people like everybody else. Um, but it's like, I don't know. Now it kind of sounds like I'm I'm caping for them, but it's like, <laughs> <laughs> but to me because you know it's it's I'm. I'm biased. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna be honest. Like I'm biased, bro. Like I rock with the NFL. Yeah. As far as the game, I love football, yeah. and so I'm gonna watch football regardless. And that's why, like, I didn't get too deep in. It's like, <laughs> like I'm at the house watching football. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I, like yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. So. so at first, when he made the move, I was excited about it because I'm like, good man. Like, if anybody can do something and has like the pull and the muscle to do it, Jay has all the clout in the world. Yeah. You know, for when it comes to the black community. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the rollout was sloppy. You know, him and Goodell and him doing all the all the explaining for what what was gonna happen and Yeah. Um you know, I I don't I don't feel like Jay owes Kaepernick anything. Like no. you know, Cap Cap made his settlement, he did what he did. Um, so yeah. That's that's just a, a closed case. And yeah. Cap and Cap ain't saying nothing about it, so if he's not gonna speak on it, then what does anybody else have to say? We yeah. can't nobody speak for him except for him. So let him talk about how you feel about it. Yeah. Um, but you know, it just 
some of the some of the I was trying to wait and see who are they gonna get their money to. And some of the organizations that they gave their money to, I'm like, all right, that's not a good look. Yeah. So, there was there was one in Chicago. Yeah, the one that was cutting off people's dreads yeah. and stuff, like the second <laughs> start or second chance. I'm like, all right, bro, like either they not paying attention or this is just some blatant BS, you know? So yeah. um I don't I don't have high expectations of corporations making us look good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but as long as we're fairly compensated, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's that's because everything is business. Yeah. Everything is business. 100%. You know, so it's just like as long as these dudes is getting their money the way they're supposed to get it. Yeah. I don't I don't have high expectations for black for white people, but I do have it for black. So for for Jay, I'm a little bit disappointed in his execution. Mm-hmm. I do want him or anybody else, any black man to be an owner because we need to have ownership. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I care about mostly is having equity and having ownership in the things that we do. Yeah. All the other things is just kind of like, all right, man, you just got got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, question number two. Is there a movie that has changed your outlook on life? Mm, a movie. Uh... I want to say no. <laughs> I mean, I, I I can't think of one. Yeah. Um, Movie and or documentary. Oh, uh, documentary. Uh, Letter to the President. Mm. Uh, Letter to the President. Um, it came out like in '04. Had David Banner, Dead Prez on there, Snoop Dogg. There was a dude who got killed, or who was banned, who was blackballed by the CIA. Okay. Uh, his name was. Gary something. I Gary forgot. Webb? Yes. He got killed. Yeah, yeah he got, yeah. yeah well, they said it was sure. suicide, but yeah. No, nah, it wasn't suicide. Yeah. Like, he got yeah. shot like in the back yeah, of the head. Yeah, right? you okay. know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so, <laughs> like what? So, but that one really, bro. that one really uh, kind of like changed my perspective um, on like just kind of how, how things work. The CIA yeah. and the drug cartels. Yeah, and That was a good one. Uh, but uh, Friday Night Lights, I want to say that was like the first movie that I like I cried in mm. because so this is so when Booby gets hurt and he's finally like it's a rap he is a rap he gets in the car with his grandpa or his uncle or mm-hmm. whoever the dude was and they start he starts like well what are we gonna do now you know then he starts crying and I remember feeling that pain. Mm. Not because it, cause it's something I dealt with, but mm-hmm. how many people do you know you go to high school with that, like, man, this is like, we riding, we riding yeah. on you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And now, yo, now. It's over. It's, it's over. Yeah. And we ha- and we don't have a plan B. Mm. <laughs> that shit, I remember they, being in the movie, they're like, damn, that's, that's some real shit. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, uh, Letters to the President definitely was one that kind of changed my perspective on life. Yeah. Mm. I need to check that out. It's on Netflix, huh? Nah. No? I bought the DVD. Way oh, back really? In the day. Oh, you yeah. said it was 2004. Okay, yes. Yeah. Yeah, or Netflix. five. Or five. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they got it on there. But yeah, man, that's that sounds dope. But I, I've heard of the Gary Webb story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also been mentioned in like certain yeah. um movies and I don't know if it was kinda in Narcos or kind of a play on it. I don't know, but I feel like I watched something that was related to Gary Webb and his his story and whatnot, but yeah, yeah I mean that's that's some crazy stuff, bro. Just knowing how deep the government is involved in the in the drug trade mm-hmm. and how basically our economy, like without that drug money, without that cash, bro, like our I mean, economy is going. 
yeah. it's going to flop because, like, the banks are full of that money. Yeah. When they launder it, like, yeah. that's propping us up. And before it, before that money went to Miami Beach, Miami Beach was like a sleepy town. Yeah. You know, nobody knew about, you know, but yeah. but the drug money came and. Boom. Yeah. Popping. Yeah. <laughs> you know? When you feel overwhelmed, how do you de-stress? Man, uh, music. Yeah. Music and really um, p- peeling back the layers. So like, mm. um, so that's something I that's something that I refer to. It's like okay, so I sit down. Once I like cuss or get shout or punch the wall or something, mm-hmm. I sit down and I think about you know okay, so what is what can I do right now to to that I have control of? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And then I kind of go from there. I peel back the layers. Okay. X, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. Um, you know, um, call my mom. Mm. Talk to my wife. Yeah. You know, um, sometimes she doesn't really, she doesn't help sometimes because her her approach is like fix it now. Well, let's figure it out now. Yeah. And it's like I told you I was what was going on, but I didn't want it to be fixed. Right. I just kind of wanted to, you know, just vent. Yeah. Right. So, um, but yeah, I peel back the layers, man. Just kind of see, like, you know. It's just kind of deconstruct the issue mm. and try to break it down to the simple, you know, like, okay, so what What can I do right now to help myself out? Yeah. You know. That's a good strategy. Take your time. Yeah. Yeah, for you sure. Know. If you woke up tomorrow and found out that you won the lottery for $100 million, mm. how would you spend your money and your time from that day forward? Man, student loans. Student loans gone. <laughs> okay. They they a rap. Yeah. Uh man, I probably would I ain't I mean hundred million since I'm i I'm older now, man, I probably would uh set up an account to like to get the interest every month. For sure. So I can like, you know, get like shit. all I need is like sixty grand a year off interest. Mm. I buy like a house like in uh I buy a couple houses in, in you know, our gentrified neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I might buy a house and uh I I probably would just buy houses, you mm-hmm. know. Not like mansions, but like just houses. Yeah, you get, know your, get your real estate portfolio. You up. feel me? You yeah. know, and just you know, buy a house wherever I want to, like vacation at. You know, and, that's a fact. And then I would just chill. You know, yeah. What's the What's the first country you going to? Man, I'm not really an international traveler like that. I ain't never been out the country myself. But, <laughs> but going out the country really does get like scare me. Man, but, you feel me, bro? Yeah. I've been, bro. People don't understand that. Like, I do have a. A weird fear of leaving the country. I don't yeah. know why, but I just feel like, you know, just feeling vulnerable. Like something happens, something yeah. goes down, and I can't. Yeah. That's the first thing that comes <laughs> up in my mind when it comes to going out the country. For real, I went to Canada a few years ago, and uh, even that felt different. Mm. That felt like really just going over the border. Man, it felt it. It, it felt the food was different. <laughs> uh, there was hella like different languages being spoken around me. Oh, so it's like, okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which it was cool. It was tight. I want to go back to yeah. Vancouver. Now nah, I heard it's beautiful because it was tight. Yeah, but it just was weird. But I told my wife, you know, um, if we're gonna go out the country. I got to go to Africa. That's a fact. You know, before I go to Europe. Oh, for sure. You know, so. For sure. Me too. The same thing. <laughs> so, I told her, you know, you know, so. Yeah, I'm definitely trying to go to Ghana. Yeah. And a few other places. But Ghana, first stop for me. Yeah, I think uh, I did the. Uh, Ancestry? Yeah. Yep. Uh, most of my ancestry is from uh, Congo. For real? Yeah, yeah, I think I'm I'm a good mix of Ghana, Congo, and uh, the Senegal. But I'm just going to Nigeria. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to Nigeria. That's a fact. That's you know. I, my uh my partner, well he's his family is from Nigeria. He was he was born here, but he just went back. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's dope out there. But it's it's crazy, man. It's just like power going out every so often and mm-hmm. just like like the way that they live is is very simple and it's probably like common to them but to us it'll be like yo this is crazy yeah you know <laughs> yeah. but just but still being around the folks and he he actually has a a podcast he just started um oba he been on the show y'all been listening y'all y'all know who oba is so go on soundcloud follow him obabalu o-b-a-b-a-l-u Mm. And he does like a daily recap of his trip to Nigeria and what he was doing and um, visiting with family and taking care of the family. He had a family member pass away and, you know, he helped take care of things for the funeral and just going through that and talking to his cousins. But just like having that, you know, that that field report, you know, is dope. So y'all should listen to that. Um, Question number five, what message do you want communicated? At your eulogy, ooh, man, message communicated at my in my eulogy. Uh, man, uh, I gave it my best shot. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it my best shot. Yeah. I was an honest person. I always was myself. Um, I didn't fake it. You know what I'm saying? I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't. You know. Uh, yeah, he was a genuine person. You, what you saw is what you get. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Bet. Simply put. Yeah. Can I sneak a plus one in here? Go ahead. If you could choose any one celebrity as your life coach, who would it be and why? Oh, celebrity as a life coach. Uh, shit. Man, I feel like I got to say Diddy. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I got to say Diddy. Diddy is a hustler. You know, he has been knocked down on his feet multiple times mm-hmm. and he's never like he's never he's never not stopped hustling. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I remember there was a time where I was watching Making the Band with the girls on there and he was saying how like there was a time where he wasn't making money off music. Mm-hmm. But he was still Diddy. For sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> he was still Diddy. So it's like shit. So like cuz I feel like me being laid off, man, really put me on my ass to the point where, like, I never experienced that before. Yeah. But life goes on. For sure. And I'm still here. Right. Mortgage still paid. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So i just been figuring it out. And I figured, like, you know, somebody like that who's who's probably took bigger L's, right. you know, than my job with the fucking school district, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. But it's like, but you took big L's, you know, but you also get big wins. Right. And you, and you set yourself up to get those wins. You know what I'm saying? So Diddy, definitely Diddy. That's a fact, bro. And that's the thing about life, man. Like, you know, when we when we think about L's, I, I listen to Dame Dash a lot, and people bring that up and like, yo, man, you've been up, but then you've been down. Mm-hmm. And so like, when you when you taking those losses, bro, like, how do you bounce back? He was like, first of all, I don't see anything as a loss. Mm-hmm. He said, like, this is like this is a, a long game, you know. So there's you can there's battles, but there's the war. So yeah. like, I'm I'm winning the war. Like, yeah. I'm up. You know, even when I look like I, I might have lost a battle. He's like, you look at a basketball team, there's 82 games. You Just because you lose a game, did that mean you lost? It's like, what really matters is, did you win the championship? Yeah. You know? And so, you know, we can take quote-unquote losses, but a loss should be a lesson. 
And if you lose a battle, that's okay. You're going to lose battles. Yeah. But at the end of the day, did you win the war? So, man, we still fighting, bro. Yeah. And it, we got more W's than L's. Yeah. And with Hell you on your podcasting journey, bro, like, it's inspiring. It's dope to see. And it just gives me fuel to see somebody else doing the same thing. Because, like, sometimes you feel like you're alone out here. Yeah. And, like, you know, not everyone can understand what you're going through. But it's like, I always love to see other folks, especially locally, doing it mm-hmm. and progressing. And, uh, yeah. After we get off air, bro, I, I really got to pick your brain about this 10K, bro, because I got I to gotta get my followers <laughs> up, bro, so. I got so you. So I'm like, oh, my guy is doing it, bro. So, yeah. I man. got you. But once again, man, I appreciate you for coming through. Yes, sir. You know what I mean? Hopefully we can do this again in the future. Appreciate y'all for listening, man. Um, for everyone to follow you on the socials, tell them where to go. Man, uh, you can go to hiphopsocialworker.com. And that'll uh, take you wherever you need to go. Podcast, Instagram. Everything is Hip Hop Social Worker Except for Twitter It's HH Social Work Because Hip Hop Social Worker Is too long for Twitter So yeah Facebook Hip Hop Social Worker Instagram Hip Hop Social Worker uh, If all else fails Go to my website You can check me out um, You know I'm, You can email me Hip Hop Social Worker At gmail.com uh, You know I'm just I'm just uh, A resource That's all I am Is a resource Yes sir So reach out to him If you got any questions um, you want to get into social work or just anything, any response that you have or questions that you have from this episode, reach out to him. Hit me up on Instagram if you haven't already done so. If you don't follow right now, do that right now. At Socks and Sandals Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, my personal Instagram, Emmanuel since 85. And yeah, we out of here, y'all. Once again, it's the Socks and Sandals Podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide. And we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Holla at y'all next week. Grace and peace. Peace.